0: Okay, we're going to continue our uh, series on discipleship. We're going to look at the life of love, passion, hope and faith. We'll be reading from Romans uh, 12, verses 9 to 21. So if you need a Bible, put your hand up and they'll appear. And while they're being given out, um, I didn't notice them on the way in, but I can notice them from here, that Jeanne, Mar, and Gabby are here. There they are. Do you remember me? I remember you. <laughs> I was student minister here, when uh, I think, when uh, you were here, and, uh, and then after I left, I think you went. But welcome. It's good to see you, and I don't know if we knew uh, they were here or not, but it's been pointed out to me. It's lovely to see you. So, um, Romans 12, 9 to 21, Romans 12, 9 to 21, if you're using the church Bible, that's page 1139, 1139, Romans 12, 9 to 21, words of Paul the Apostle. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practise hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Good words, and as we're uh, remembering what it is to be a disciple of Christ, uh, so- someone who learns an apprentice, we need to take these words of God through the Apostle Paul seriously. And when we look at that, uh, again, we're reminded how hard it is and our total reliance on the Holy Spirit, God himself uh, living within us. So Graham has stolen my thunder because the opening line in, my, uh, in this uh, talk about a life of love, passion, hope and faith was, it's coming home and we don't know whether it's going to be coming home or not. But the World Cup is on, and there's a lot of passion about is isn't there? You see that? Apparently, there's some sort of other sport going on, uh, not as popular. Uh, it's a right racket, if you ask me. There you go. I've got more where that came from. Uh, but no, really good. What you notice about these sports people is their passion, their enthusiasm, their training. Um, and uh, I'll speak a bit more about that later on. Um, we have a hope. We have a hope that is steadfast, and certain. We, we, we sing that uh, in a song. Uh, we've sung this morning, we trust trusting in your word, and we trust in your cross, so we need to take this word seriously, and we don't take the cross lightly. We have a faith, and that faith is in Christ. Uh, that's the only one we can really put our faith in. Christ is the one. He saves me, and he saves you from the penalty of your wrongdoings or sin. His passion, his passion is for the world, because the Bible says that God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for the world. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. He said, I haven't come to condemn the world, I've come to save the world. And that's the passion for me and for you. And if that's the passion that God shows, and we can look at sportsmen and women on a football field or a tennis court or wherever else. There's golf going on at the moment as well, but I thought if I mention that, uh, everyone gets young with me because I mention golf all the time, apparently. Um, but if we look at that, it all takes practice, it all takes passion, it all takes a big belief in what they're doing. So for the Christian who believes in the power of God's word, who believes in the power of the cross, who believes that prayers can be answered, it must lead to a life of love and passion. If we have that hope that is ours, it's a gift from God. If we have the cross of faith in Christ that is ours, a gift from God, then it must lead to a life of love and and passion. That's what I want to talk about this morning. That's what I felt God lay in my heart as we look at what it is to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. Remember, we said, if I'm a follower, if I have a teacher, if I have a master, then I've got to listen to what he says. Remember, the last few weeks we've been saying, not so much what everyone else says. I need to listen to what he says. If I start listening to myself, even or the world, more than him then all of a sudden the apprentice has become the teacher and we're the apprentices, we're the disciples, he is the master and the Bible says no student is above his master. And if we call Jesus Lord, we we should mean it. So first of all, uh, love in action. Uh, I'm going to mix up the verses a bit because Paul, when he comes to this passage, he goes sort of love, passion, love, judgment, love and overcome evil. So it's kind of mixed up a little bit. So with my headings, uh, we're jumping around a little bit. I've got some stuff up in the overhead to help you along with that. But love in action, what does it mean? He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. And I was, I was thinking about it. I thought, what does sincere love look like? What is it in, in its application? We know Pretty much, uh, if you're a parent, you'll know that really unconditionally you love your children. Sometimes they upset you, sometimes they go down the wrong road, but you never stop loving them. And actually that's a great analogy, not a perfect one, of how God loves us. We're his children, we can go down the wrong road, it can tarnish the relationship. He never stops loving us and always drawing us back to himself. But what does it really look like? I I was thinking about what does it look like in the church here? Uh, and probably other churches as well. And one of the things that, it like sincere love, is pastoral care. Um, you think, as a senior minister, I would know everything that goes on. And the elders, and probably many of you, will tell you, I really, really don't. I know a lot of what goes on. But what really blesses me is when I hear of things that are going on that I didn't know about. So did you know so-and-so was ill? No, I didn't know that. Do they need a visit? No. Three lots of people have been around already. That's how we knew, and you think that's wonderful. This is sincere love. It's love in action. Or maybe it's loving somebody, like we said the last few weeks, when it's actually quite hard. Maybe they're difficult. Um, Maybe it's a choice to love. We've been through, as probably many of you have as a family, quite a, a tough year this year. And practically, there wasn't really many things that people could help us with, a number of things going on. But what was really nice is an email or a card or a comment or an arm around you and just someone saying, you're okay. It's loads of different ways that we can show sincere love and loads of different ways we can show concern. I thought, that's what sincere love is, isn't it? When when one of us is hurting, uh, everybody feels part of that and joins in, not embraces that hurt, but wants to encourage that person and build them up. Sincere love. It's easy to walk the other way, especially when it's costly. Uh, verse ten, um, Paul said they're to be devoted to one another, and this echoes uh, one of my favourite passages. I think it was the passage I preached on my preacher of the view, Acts two, uh, forty two, where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. And, you know, so one of the things they were devoted to was the fellowship. They were devoted to one another. This is love in action. And the result of that, from Acts 2, 42 and 43, is that people looked on and they were filled with awe. They couldn't believe how devoted uh, the people were to to each other. Not a take it or leave it kind of mindset. I'll get out of this what I can. I won't give anything into it. I was given a recent example of this. Um, probably six, seven months ago now, where uh, someone uh, was, was ill. And uh, I went to visit, and they said to me, it's, it's been really good. You know, we've had so many church visitors, and meals have been cooked, and cards have been sent. And it's amazing, to the point that my work colleagues are asking, when can we come and see you to encourage you? And say, well, I've got no time. I've got all these visitors. And they said, where'd you get all these friends from? They said it's my church. And I wouldn't say they were filled with awe, but it was a great witness that actually the church is a family and should be a family. And actually we can care for one another. This is love in action, being devoted uh, to one another. And it's, uh, it talks about relationships as well, doesn't it, Paul? Verse 14, walking with people. Bless those who persecute you. We may not be persecuted, but maybe, I don't know, there's people that you just don't naturally uh, would gravitate towards or maybe someone's saying to whatever. The Bible says bless them. Now, your feelings will be different to that, but we've got to do what the Bible says. It says to bless them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And it speaks to me as, as walking with people where they are. You know, I'm not perfect, nor are you. And so, that, so we need to re- recognise that we're walking with people, some of them are hurt and broken, as we can be, and we're just, we're just told to walk with them and love them and bless them and pray for them. Uh, sometimes situations or people are difficult. The Bible says pray for them. Maybe as you're praying for them, the Lord shows you something in your heart. Uh, pray for them. Um, someone said to me uh, about six months ago as well, a totally different person, not the uh, pastoral care one, uh, but there was someone that was really talking behind their back and uh, outside of the church, um, and they were really annoyed. It was a past friend, and they were putting them down and everything else. And uh, I said to them, I'm going to tell you to do something which is really easy to talk about, uh, a lot less easy to do. I want you to love them, and I want you to pray for them. And, and really important, is not that just I want you to do That's what God says to do in his word. And I said, if you can't outwardly show that at the moment, just go and pray for them. Just go and pray for them and ask God to show you his heart for them. And about a month later, I bumped into them and I said, oh, how, do, how are you getting on with, with son? So they said, it's just amazing. To be honest, still caused me problems, still a little bit of backbiting and gossip and everything else. But I really loved them. God has changed my heart. I prayed for them and it was a discipline. And they said, I prayed as in, Lord, I really don't even want to pray for this person. I'm very honest, because God knows anyway, the heart, right? And they said, well, I'm going to pray for them. And then God gave them a heart. It turns out there was something going on in that person's life behind closed doors. Eventually it came out, loads of grief and hassle, and you understand uh, where that's coming from. But he said to me, as I prayed, God was showing me things that I do with other people. And as I prayed for them, he gave me a love uh, for them, and he wanted a help. This is what the Bible says to do, pray for them. Jesus demonstrated it on the cross, didn't he? When they're nailing him to the cross and they lower him down, he was in agony, and he prays for his killers. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So he leads by example. The enemy loves it when we go against God's word because you can see then how the trouble and strife would start. And Paul uh, uh, says in verse 9, "'Hate evil. Hate evil. Do what is good and hate evil.'" Verse 17, "'Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone.'" Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love the last bit of that. Overcome evil with good. Uh, that's That's the Christian attitude. There's a lot of evil in the world. We don't want to add to it by disobeying God's written word to us, God's spoken word to us. We need to pray for the situations, pray for the people, and then we leave it to God. You know, it sits uncomfortably with me, whatever you think about um, Donald Trump or President Trump, but he holds an office, and he is the President of the United States. And I go on this closed group, which is confidential, so don't tell anyone. Um, It's the Baptist Ministers UK Facebook group. They don't even let the regional ministers in, in case we want to moan about them as well. And there is a lot of moaning. I don't really... I've never put anything up there. But one thing that struck me this week is um, President Trump is visiting. You may, may or may not like that. You may or may not like what he stands for. But he is the leader of a major economy uh, in the world. He is the leader of a major nation in the world. I don't agree with much of what he says. Some of it I do, some of it I don't. But it, I wouldn't say that's irrelevant, but what is irrelevant is when I look at the Bible and it says, pray for your leaders. And so really what I'm told to do is pray for him. And then amongst this... Um, Closed, forbidden, dark group. Um, you know, I'm saddened actually by some of the language that's on there uh, talking about, yeah, let's get it. I mean, I'm, not, I'm up, for, you know, people can go to London and demonstrate, but they think it's funny that there's going to be this blimp of a baby with President Trump's face in it. I think, I wonder what God thinks about that. I don't know. I think I know. I haven't got all the answers. But we're told to pray for our leaders. We're told to pray for those in authority. And it's very easy. It would be very easy for me to join in with that. But there's something that's wrong with that. How about pray for him? He's going to have a major influence on the world economy. Just pray for him. Whether you believe in what he says or not. And I was struggling with the, you know, not all of them, but some ministers who were using it as a bit of a sounding board and and actually not doing what the Bible says, saying some quite nasty things. And I thought, what's that about? We can't be like that. We've got to pray for him. Uh, pray for him to make the right decisions. Pray for him to have the right heart, uh, because he's a man of great influence. And notwithstanding, it's in our interest to get on with one of the major leaders uh, in the world. But, but we're told to pray, whatever. Uh, second slide, if that's all right. That's the life of love in action. Now we've got passion. So if we can love people, if we recognise God's love for us, then we can love people. If we recognise that God can love us, even if we've got, we've got our own faults and fallacies, then we can love others who've got their faults and fallacies as well. And we should expect love back as well. But secondly, the second point I want to make, uh, we've, got our, we've got our hope and we've got our faith, and it leads to a, a life of love and of passion. So passion. And, and the, one of my favourite verses, of course, uh, Paul says in verse 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I think without prayer, you can't do this stuff because it's too hard. Must be in prayer. We must be in prayer seeking God's will for people and seeking God's will for the nation, seeking God's will for myself, for the church, everything. Must be in prayer because without that, how can I um, uh, keep up the zeal? How can I keep up the spiritual fervor if I'm not even connecting with God? How can I be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, if I'm not faithful in prayer? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So, uh, yesterday was a big day, wasn't it? Two important things happened yesterday. Uh, one was in the first half, one was in the second half. And we liked it. And that's really, really good. And you have to say, if you, I don't know if you saw the game, England played really well. I think we're the team to beat. Now, we may win the semi-final, we may not. Um, I, I'm old enough to remember 1990, uh, losing to Germany in penalties and you saw passion where I was. You saw passion and excitement, and people that would have been in the establishment I was in at that time for hours afterwards just go through the floor, and people walking home, some in tears, uh, some in misery. And we saw something of it uh, in the game before. I don't know if you watched the Columbia game. We're 1-0 up with three or four minutes to go. It's almost in the bag. Now, if you're a West Ham fan and an England fan... We could be 5-0 up again. If we are a West Ham fan, you could be 5-0 up against Tottenham with three minutes to go, and you still don't celebrate, because we've been there before and lost. Um, so there we were playing against Colombia, and we, 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 beat, we played the better football. But, of course, what happened was we got a bit complacent, and the foot came off the accelerator, and then we let them in. And all of a sudden, though we won the game on penalties, which got that, that one off our back, uh, nevertheless, we put ourselves in danger The enemy loves it when we think we're doing well and we're firing all cylinders and we become a little bit complacent. We think that's all right, the battle's won now, we're okay. He loves that attitude because it's an ongoing battle. And Paul says we've got to keep our spiritual fervor. Don't lose it. Serving the Lord. Paul was a a persecutor, wasn't he? He was a a persecutor who became the persecuted. Um, But he wasn't a, a good man before he met Christ on that conversion experience on the road to Damascus. And I wonder if that played on his mind as he became the preacher to the Gentiles. I wonder if the passion that he shows here was because he realised the futility of his previous thinking, resulting now in this sort of sense of urgency in his message. And if you think about the passion of the church, we're on our sort of spiritual high. Do we get a bit complacent? No wonder sometimes if we do. Do we prefer safety rather than stepping out in risk? Do we prefer apathy because it's safe? Rather than action and pushing the boundaries, uh, do we, uh, are we complacent rather than having faith to think that God will do so much more? And we need to be ch- a church, don't we, with huge faith, uh, willing to take risks and, and action. Action, because there's so much work to be done. There's so much work to be done. We have to trust that God has all of it in hand. And this is our time. This is, whatever whatever age you are now, this is your time. You're here now. Um, And the legacy we leave for those that come after us is going to be down to the decisions and the action and the faith and the passion that we have now. What was the secret that Paul the Apostle had? What was the motivation then? And what should our motivation be now? He was driven... He was driven by the truth. He was driven and energised by his faith in Jesus Christ. He was driven and energised because he knew that he was lost and now he was found. And that's the same for all of us that are Christians. He was driven by his work that Christ did on the cross. He was driven by Christ's teaching. And then he looked at his life and how it was and then he thought, well, now I have to live my life as an example. Look what God has done for me. And isn't it great that God Himself says, "My presence is with you now," and you can go out and do all these things? Let's not miss the time that we're in. You know, we read about things around two thousand years ago. This we're writing history now. We're using God's Word and we're making a difference. This is our time. Paul had been shipwrecked, beaten, driven out, persecuted. And yet he writes these words in Romans 12, 11, Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know, we have to have enthusiasm about our faith. We should have enthusiasm about our faith. We've got the best message in the world. I love, I love the word enthusiasm. I love it when people are passionate. Sometimes I think that people think the more spiritual you are, the sadder you must get. It's wrong. And Colin prayed for, prayed for joy. We should have joy. We, we know, uh, Billy Graham said, didn't he, um, I think I've mentioned this before, I'm going to say it again. He said, there's um, a lot of worries in the world, but it's all right, I've read the last book in the Bible, it's going to work out okay. And it's true, whatever this world throws at us, and life throws at us, which it will, we will be okay. And we can have joy because we know that God has us. The word enthusiasm comes from two words, en and theos. Theos means God, it means God-infused. See enthusiasm on the football terraces yesterday. See people singing, clapping their hands, worshiping. Does it remind you of anything? You don't see them, do you? you? Saw the newsreel after after England won. You don't see them going. Yeah. Um, well, that my football team. Um, yeah. Look, I can invite you on a course if you like. You can learn about them. Um, I mean, I'm really happy they won. (laughs) I am full of joy. (laughs) You don't hear that, do you? What you see is they're going crazy. I'm not saying go crazy, because that will scare people. Um, But but they're going. They're so passionate. They're there in the stadium. They're singing their songs. They're raising the arms in worship. They're worshiping the wrong people, in a in a sense. Uh, They're clapping. They're singing songs. They're doing all the things we do, but they're so passionate. They're so passionate. No one says a word. You get a bit of passion in the church. You don't want to get a bit emotional in that church. A bit happy-clappy, they are. A bit happy. You're not allowed to be happy if you're in church. Can't clap. But the Bible says you can. It says you can dance. There's a challenge. What song's on next? It's a slow one, isn't it? No slow dancing, please. We're in church. <laughs> I think the more in God we are, the more enthusiastic we'll be. The Apostle Paul was such an enthusiastic person with so much energy and drive. He said in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. If we realise that everything we do, if the worship band are playing and using all their gifts and Bernard leading or me preaching and recognize i I'm sort of doing it for you, but I'm really doing it for God. They're doing it for God. And though we say thank you, really they're services to God. This is a gift that God has given them. They're using it and you've all got... Uh, various gifts. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spirituals fervour. Why? Because you're serving the Lord. You're serving the Lord in all you do. So what do we want to do when complacency sets in? The Bible says to combat it with enthusiasm. You'll serve, the, serve God with enthusiasm. You know, I would never want to lose my passion. Sometimes you have your low days, and I accept that. And I've told you before, sometimes I get a haircut and I think, oh, please don't ask me for want lunch break. I really need an hour off um, but generally we need to keep that passion I remember in my early days here um, I, I had passion and I, I was I wanted to know everything I wanted to be at everything um, and uh, I remember at one time we used to run this course, course called way up which was like alpha with with the whole evolution debate thrown in and uh, at one point Andrew and I were run running we did five in one year and I was a student minister, I was preaching, teaching, all the other stuff. At one point, we had three, three on the go: a morning one, a afternoon, one, evening one. I loved them. They were brilliant. I loved it. And I was at Spurgeons and preaching and leading worship. I couldn't get enough of it. I looked forward to church meetings. It was amazing. That's enthusiasm. Pastoral situations, I'd loved getting involved in them. I couldn't get enough of it. And I felt the urgency. I remember, I remember the minister at the time said, I think Jesus, I mean, this is true. I remember. Him standing, all the signs are there, and maybe Jesus is coming back in the next three years. And I thought, hope not. I wouldn't have finished my training by then. I want to be a minister for a bit. I mean, how can I say I hope he doesn't come in? It's terrible. I've learned a lot since then. Um, but I, I could relate uh, to Paul's words in Colossians 1, 28 and 29... He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And I thought, well, that's what I'm doing, so I must be doing good. But then, of course, what happens? You burn out. You can't cope with all of that. Um, and I realised God was teaching me. You have to be wise. I felt God teach me that ministry is for the long haul. When you become overstretched... You can still have passion, but if, you, if you're not smart with that passion, it becomes a duty, and then you get a bit miserable. Uh, and then you're subject to temptation because you haven't slept much. And the mind and body are weak, and you're spiritually affected. And he was teaching me, and still does, that it's not about the amount that you do. It's about what you do, and do it well as if for the Lord. You have to know your calling, and then do it with a level of commitment and passion that is honouring to God. And my motivation and your motivation and Paul the Apostle's motivation is Christ and his cross and what he did. He's given you all sorts of gifts. He's just asked you to use them with passion. I have to know my call and I have to do it well. You need to know your call and you need to do it well. I say to my team, I know you can't be excellent in everything. You can't. You're not gifted in everything. But you can be excellent in attitude. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And do it well. Colossians 3.23, as I've quoted already. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because, and, and this is the real encouragement. Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. As you give yourself to whatever ministry it is, it's not in vain. God uses it. God uses it. And it's different for me, it'll be different for you. We have, a, we have devotional times. Uh, most mornings if we're, if we're all in, in the staff office. And this is one that I read last week, and I'm going to read it to you. And it, is, it was written for ministers, but really you can apply this, and we're going to finish uh, in a sec with this. Um, but I want you to take these, these, these words and think about your homes, your family, your jobs, your university, your school, or whatever it is, and, and recognise that God has called you. Um, and therefore serve in those areas with passion and show love. So the verse used was uh, as Jesus, uh, sorry, from Matthew uh, 3, 16, 17. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. When was the last time that you thought about the fact that you are called, anointed, set apart by God to serve him specifically in Christian ministry? What do those words engender in you? What thoughts and memories do they conjure up? Dig below the surface of most ministers to ask about our calling or ask us to tell the story of entering ministry. And in there somewhere lies the phrase of who me or why me. And yet God says, yes, you. And he doesn't stop saying yes, you, once you've been ordained or called to serve a church or specific ministry. At the start of Jesus's earthly ministry, there is a point recorded in the Gospels where the Spirit descends on him and the Father from heaven proclaims, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus, from this point on, moved into the time of fulfilling his calling here on earth. His time of declaring that the kingdom of God is near. Now is the time. He took his place of authority as he encountered the temptations in the desert. He picked up the scriptures and read in the synagogue and declared his purpose to bring freedom to the captives and restore sight to the blind. The events of his life began to speed up as he gathered his followers around him, he healed the sick, brought restoration to the humiliated and challenged the authorities. When we responded to that call from God to serve him in the manner of being set apart in dedicated Christian ministry, not forgetting that there are many other ways to serve God, we too were not only called to that endeavour but anointed and appointed for that task. I have certain scriptures, words that were said to me, things that I sense through prayer which I have written down to remind me that I am called, anointed and appointed. How about you? At times of difficulty and struggle I return to them or God reminds me to return to them for he spoke, I responded and I am anointed to serve him. If we are called, anointed and appointed then in what way do we walk in that anointing day by day? When you and your church discerned that you were called saying, this is my son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased, but it was guidance from heaven saying, this is my woman or man called here and now to serve for such a time as this. I suspect as ministers and as church leaders, we forget the awesome responsibility and calling that is upon us to live in that anointing. So much of what we do day by day, week by week, can feel very mundane and not very anointed. Yet how much could that change if each day, each moment and each situation we go into, we realise that we are God's anointed, appointed servants. Jesus' ministry sped up after he rose from the waters of baptism and his power and authority grew and increased following that anointing. We are not Jesus, but he tells us that we can expect to do greater things than he through the power of the Holy Spirit who is within us. So lift up your head and know that he who calls you is faithful. Remain faithful to him and the calling and anointing that is yours today. Be all that he has called you to be in the place where he's called you to serve. Wherever you're working, whatever your family situation, whatever your church situation, he has called you for such a time as this. And so we ought to bring our gifts and all of our different ministries uh, with passion, uh, realising that we're serving the Lord. Hope, faith that leads to love and passion. It means that all I do and all you do, all of it is for him. We're the disciples, He's the teacher. I might have my plans, I might have my hopes, I might have my ambitions. Um, I'm a big believer in the Baptist family, sometimes I think it's lost its way. I'd love it to rediscover its radicalism. I'd love us to be a flagship church, I'd love us to be on the high street with a presence. I'd love all these things, but if it's not of God, then, then it's not of God, and that's it. It's got to be about him. I'd love us to be some sort of Baptist church where we can equip other people. I'd love to see that moving forward, but it's got to be about him. So any of those ambitions, and your ambitions, and gifts, and ministry, whatever it is, say to him this morning, it's all for you. We're going to sing this in a second, it's all for you. And wherever you are, recognise that you serve him, and so you need to serve with love and passion. And when you do that, you're doing it for Jesus. Amen. Amen. One of you liked it. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, you